Amazon paid a $2.25 million fine for a dynamic pricing mechanism that was found. They, they put a floor on it. You know, they, they didn't say dynamic pricing was bad, but the way that they had created the dynamic pricing rules harmed the consumer that was found, and they had to pay a fine. There's actually an act going back to 1936. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Most businesses struggle with providing consistent pricing across channels. Even when we think of static pricing, the systems and departments are not connected in how they price the product. The accounting may set the cost standards, but sales and marketing might maintain the pricing completely separately in a siloed manner in e-com. The inconsistent pricing experience can come across as alarming for customers. If you charge too much, then you'll be missing opportunities. If you charge too low, then you'll be setting the wrong expectations that they can expect these products at this price even in the future. The dynamic pricing trends require systems and inventory to be connected for the algorithm to work. Incorrect dynamic pricing may be worse than static or fake pricing. But how difficult is it to implement dynamic pricing and improve customer experience through that? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss dynamic pricing. We discussed various topics such as how different industries and systems handle dynamic pricing and the factors that drive dynamic pricing. Finally, we discussed the customer experience implications of dynamic pricing, how that is perceived by the consumers and the risks that brand managers need to be aware of before incorporating dynamic pricing as part of their strategy. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you are joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to e-commerce, and we always have a very expert panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we have a very interesting topic, and that is called dynamic pricing. And we are going to explore dynamic pricing concept from many different perspectives. The customer experience is going to be the top perspective that we look at. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intro. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. I've been leading, uh, you know, ERP and digital transformation uh, engagements for roughly 20 years. The pricing is always a very tricky topic because, you know, it's always hard to argue whether it resides in e-commerce, ERP, always a very religious debate. So uh, a lot of background in that. Uh, at Elevate IQ, it's an independent ERP and digital transformation uh, consulting firm. We help our clients with ERP selection, contract negotiation related to ERP or e-commerce platforms. Uh, we help with the business process re-engineering, enterprise architecture, system architecture, system integration, and the ERP implementation. On that note, I am going to move to Chris for her intro. Hey, Sam. Great to be here with everybody today. I am Chris Harrington, president of Gen Alpha Technologies. We are a software provider uh, we, uh, of digital commerce solutions. We actually partner with original equipment manufacturers and aftermarket organizations to help them sell their products online. And I find the topic of dynamic pricing fascinating, so I am looking forward to today. Thanks, Sam. 
Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Uh, Dave Chrysler, can I move to you next for your intro? Sure. Thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting company called the Chrysler Club, where we work with uh, business leaders in manufacturing, construction, and cannabis to help them create the systems needed to grow their business. And I come to you today with more than 20 years in operations in manufacturing, uh, systems integration and implementation. So excited to get into this uh, conversation with you all. Thanks. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Colin, can I move to you next for your intro, joining for the first time? Thanks, Sam. It's a pleasure to be here. I've listened to many of the experts on this panel in the past, so great to be able to trade some words with them. I lead digital transformation initiatives at Lyco Biosystems within the marketing function. We're a cancer diagnostics medical device manufacturer, so make products for um, pathology both in the diagnostics as well as the life science space. So I have a background in a lot of different areas of digital transformation as a developer, as an analyst, and also with some commercial experience uh, executing on B2B commerce. So excited to be here. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Colin. Steve, can I move to you next for your intro? Thank you, Sam. It's wonderful to be here with everybody. Uh, my name is Steve Rice. I'm the president of Dotcom Jungle. Uh, we help manufacturers and consumer products goods companies make and implement biased technology pieces. We've been working in the sector nationally and internationally for over 30 years and generated hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. And we have an average 12-year reti- uh, retainer client retention, which we're really proud of. It speaks volumes for what we do. Thank you. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Steve. And Dave Meyer, we are going to have a little fun today with two days. So Dave Meyer, for your intro, please. Hey, everybody. Dave Meyer with BusyWeb, a.k.a. the Handsome Dave on your call. And uh, super excited to be here. <laughs> and we're, uh, BusyWeb is a marketing and demand generation business. We help our manufacturers to generate traffic, to make sales, and to automate the process of engaging leads to close those. I've been doing this for 23 years. We're based out of Minneapolis and I am adjusting my pricing to Sam as we go. And the more I talk, the more I'm going to charge him. Yeah. And I am happy to do that. Thank you so much, Handsome Dave. We are going to have a little fun today with pricing. All right. So let's go uh, get into the topic. And uh, if you are joining in the audience for the first time, uh, make sure you guys are going to be commenting because during the episode, we are going to be covering all of your comments. And if you cannot get to them during the episode, our panelists are going to make sure that you get your answer. Okay, so now I am going to start with today's topic. And that is going to be really difference between dynamic pricing and static pricing. And Chris, the reason why I am starting with you is because, you know, you know how pricing works when we talk about the interaction between e-commerce ERP. There is always this religious debate. And I have, uh, you know, had experiences with a lot of different uh, organizations. They all have their own ways of uh, doing things. Some people feel, you know, it should belong to marketing. Some people feel that it should belong to finance. Obviously, when it's going to belong to finance, then it's probably going to reside in ELP. Then, you know, uh, some organizations feel, no, 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 no. Sales and marketing, that's it, pricing, you know, nobody touches. Uh, So obviously now, uh, when we think of just the static pricing, that itself is difficult. When we are talking about dynamic pricing, meaning everything needs to be aligned, okay? That's going to be your inventory. That's going to be your pricing. That's going to be your channels. Very, very, very hard to do. So from your experience, when you look at the static pricing and dynamic pricing, what have you seen? Yeah, I, okay. So there's a lot there. I think if we just start with um, the ERP debate versus other, Typically, in the the companies that I work with, OEMs, aftermarket organizations, they are using the ERP as a safe source for pricing. That's the way it has been to date. It doesn't mean that that will necessarily be the way things are forever going forward. Um, But most often, pricing is owned by product management. So product management uh, and, and I will tell you that they're not always part of marketing. It depends on the organization. They yep. may be a more uh, tactical group that's really uh, responsible for fully understanding how that product fits into the greater, greater ecosystem of, uh, of the manufacturer's product. So you might have multiple product managers, depending on the number of products that you sell, 
and, uh, you know, maybe even the assemblies that go into a very large product that you sell. Okay. And these product managers, and I know certainly in my past history, product managers looked at different buying behaviors of their customers and how often they thought products should be replaced and therefore sold that helped establish a static price. And that's typically what people are used to historically is that they set maybe a target uh, margin, which, which will set uh, uh, a standard price. And then from that price, there might be discounts off of it, depending on uh, a customer's level of loyalty or their overall buying, whatever the factors might be for discounting. So static price with discounts off of it, which mean there might be different price list by customer, but at this point, it's still static. Nothing is really dynamic. Now, when we move into dynamic pricing, we're really talking about external factors that um, would change the pricing. You know, a lot of times uh, dynamic pricing is referred to as time-based pricing. So at that given time, whether it's time of the day, it could be a seasonality type uh, type of uh, factor that's coming in that's determining that price and changing it on the fly. And then there are a lot more, you know, there's algorithmic type pricing factors that will even pull in more scenarios. And, and that could be pulling from your customer buying behaviors and what's actually happening on the site at any given moment. I, I can tell you that Many of the customers that I work with aren't fully there yet with dynamic pricing. I think where we see dynamic pricing come into play is really around freight and logistics and how quickly people want the product. So, um, you know, that's really determining uh, what more their willingness to buy. If you think about um, how willing are they to pay a certain price? Typically, the freight costs or a factor or fee that would be on top of something because they need it quickly. Maybe a machine is down. Uh, you know, if you think about brake fix type maintenance versus preventive type maintenance, people are often willing to pay more when the machine is down and they need it quickly. And companies are adding factors to that price. It could be both logistics and fees associated with. That's where I typically find the closest thing to a dynamic price type scenario. Now, I think that um, there's a lot of opportunity here, but I just I, I think it, it again in my industry, it's a little bit early for full adoption of, of everything that we see out there, especially the way that maybe Amazon or eBay or Uber with their surge pricing are using today, right? And I'm sure we're going to get into all of this, so I won't take any more time, but that's kind of what I'm seeing today. Yeah, so I definitely want to touch a little bit on that, to be honest, because in the B2C space, I mean, there are a lot of different factors that are driving the price. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So one of the comments that you mentioned is you are going to have these standard price lists. They could be per customer. So my assumption here is going to be they are very siloed. They are not really connected with your ERP, and that's how your price lists are maintained. Or I don't know if that is maintained inside your your ERP. If they are maintained inside your ERP, you are going to have the full accommodation of your cost. Because right now, if you actually look at the supply chain, the way everything is set up, you know, the pricing is moving like crazy. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, in the electronic space, uh, if you look at in the HVAC space, I mean, these guys are updating manually uh, the pricing on at least 4,000 line items on yeah. <laughs> every minute, every hour. That's how dynamic the pricing is. But if you look at the B2C space, in the B2C space, if you look at some of the dynamic pricing platform, what they are doing is they are literally scrapping every single price point in the inventory that is available on Google, and they are trying to adjust the pricing. Now, imagine what all can you do from the pricing perspective. But for that, you need to have your inventory aligned. The most e-commerce platform that I am familiar with, especially in the B2C space, they are all using fake inventory. They don't have the live inventory there. So how do you accommodate dynamic pricing? So in your case, are you seeing similar scenarios in case of B2B? I think you mentioned that we are probably not there yet uh, in the B2B space. Do you have anything to add there by nature? Yeah, I would just say that I, I am seeing pricing reside in the ERP, even at the customer level. So okay. uh, 
items can be priced. They have a standard list price and then discounts at the customer level according to customer contracts that exist. All of it's in the ERP system, pulled in real time in the e-commerce environment. If something changes on the supply side, so uh, a supplier alters the price, that price gets updated inside the ERP system. The next time we pull that price in the e-commerce site, it's going to have the new the new price uh, for that customer based on the new cost system. So it's a real time. Same with inventory. We do pull real time inventory um, for our customers today. So now they're messaging on the backlog. So if something is not in stock, that's where uh, they might not be using MRP to drive the message. We'll tell yep. you that some customers get creative depending on their average delivery times and their average uh, replenishment of inventory. But um, yeah, so everything is in the ERP for our okay. customers. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Dave Chrysler, I am going to move to you. And what has been your experience? Have you seen any sort of dynamic pricing scenario? Uh, in my experience, even the static pricing is not there. Dynamic is very far. Uh, overall, uh, the base systems are implemented at this. What would be your yeah, I, Yeah, I would agree with that, Sam. And I agree with a lot of what Chris was saying. Um, I, I would say the the highest level of dynamic pricing that I've seen in my experience is really gets on uh, gets into what Chris started to touch on. And this was a B2B um, print manufacturing company. And from a especially today, right? Like COVID with the supply chain um, has really impacted the raw materials in that space, particularly uh, among many other spaces as well. But what we would do in that uh, in that environment that would fall more in line with the dynamic pricing is we would have a, instead of going in and um, uh, keeping a dynamic price where all of the raw material was changing on the estimation or, you know, CPQ, the quote side of things, that is where we would keep uh, that the those costs on the raw material side updated in the ERP, which would allow us, uh, and again, this was a situation where we're running standard costs there. So that would allow us to at least flex up and create a artificial dynamic pricing, uh, if that's even a term, right? But like, that's the closest thing I would say uh, that there there is because it's such a challenge to get uh, all of the aspects of that. And when you compare that to what uh, some of these B companies are doing, which is really amazing, uh, I just don't think that the the level of technology and sophistication to understand the cost structure to begin with is there to take that to roll it into a dynamic pricing model. I think we're quite a ways away in the B2B space, at least with the uh, you know manufacturing companies that I've worked and Dave, I mean, you are always mentioning standard costing and you you know that, you know, what you are going to get right now, right? <laughs> so for the standard costing, I mean, see, for the marketing audience that we have in the e-commerce, I mean, they must be stretching their head, okay, what's going on with the standard costing? But in my mind, when I look at the standard costing, it's nothing but a fancy price list, okay? The way we were thinking, uh, you know, in case of e-commerce, because you don't have the, the real-time update of the cost, because, you know, the cost is not going to be the actual reflection of how your uh, pricing is changing as your products are received in the inventory. So when you look at the standard costing, I think you are going to run into the same challenges that we were talking about when you have the disconnected e-commerce and ERP system. So, uh, you know, the companies yeah. that are still doing standard costing, even if they might be very <laughs> e-commerce-y, but they are not going to get all the advantage. So would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree 100 percent. I mean, I'll give you the perfect example of that. In, in, in many of the scenarios that I'm talking about, we would have a completely disconnected e-commerce system. So we would be taking our standard pricing and, and to your point, right, that would really be that standard price list. And we were taking and pulling that out of the ERP system to which it lived, to which we can run our actual cost against and, you know, validate our variances. We were taking all of that and just re-inputting it into the e-commerce which created, as everybody on this panel knows, created a whole nother host of uh, problems into that scenario, um, you know, both on the customer facing side and internally from a business operations standpoint side and business process side. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And, and again, it kind of gets back into what I was 
alluding to from the, the standpoint of the technology and process not being in place uh, and not being widely understood enough to be able to take that and roll it into what you would consider a real dynamic pricing situation uh, that would be customer facing. So, and there, there would be a lot of advantages specifically in, uh, you know, B2B manufacturing. Like Chris pointed out, you're talking about transportation, you're talking about, you know, raw material, all of these things would be a tremendous boost on a, you know, a margin basis, right? Like that's what we're going for. So, uh, you know, the, the, the faster that we can um, get these business processes aligned and understood and, and have the technology implemented uh, to help us out with the, uh, you know, the automation side of it, the, the better off uh, we're going to be from an operational efficiency. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights, Dave. Uh, now, I'm actually going to move to Colin. And Colin, uh, you know, when I look at your world, you live in a very special world. Uh, and that's going to be super complex. Uh, overall, from the regulatory compliance perspective, because I don't know how much implication the compliance is going to have in the pricing. I think you mentioned something in the comment that you need to keep that in mind as well. But along with that, when I look at the healthcare space, uh, you have far thicker buying channels. The way they set up the contract is going to be far thicker compared to other distributors or the manufacturing spaces that we typically So obviously you are going to have far thicker channels, meaning far more pricing agreement, meaning far more chances to have the channel complex, meaning far more uh, you know systems to be able to align your pricing and the inventory. So when you look at dynamic pricing, I, I don't know if you feel comfortable having the concept of dynamic pricing because your algorithm is actually controlling your pricing. So what would you say to static versus dynamic pricing? So you're absolutely right, Sam. Special is a really good word to describe the industry that we live in, and, and we have a lot of these challenges. Um, I think there's two layers to the debate between static and dynamic. One is how are you serving the information to the customer, um, regardless of how that pricing is determined? It could be that you negotiate these contracts ahead of time and you load this pricing, but then you think about how do you distribute that? Uh, really similar to along the lines of what Chris was saying, you know, most of our pricing rules are within our ERP system, and that's because it's the core business system. We, we do business in a lot of different ways across a lot of different geographies. So we have a mixture of direct and indirect markets. We have a mixture of direct selling channels as well as you know, providing prices to customers to load into their own e-procurement system. So a lot of, uh, a lot of what we do, it's, it's not dynamic in the sense of um, there's an algorithm determining what the price should be because that would be, you know, that would definitely uh, cause compliance to take a hard look at what we're doing. I don't think that would fly in most cases. Usually these contracts are, are you know, they're months in the making if they're more complex businesses that are buying things like instrumentation or platforms plus consumables and reagents that they use on those. And in some markets, we have something called a reagent rental agreement where they basically commit to a certain length of contract purchase for a consumable reagent product in order to fund the purchase of a capital uh, a capital instrument or acquisition. And so these things often lock the customer into certain pricing. That's better than list for sure. Um, but in that way, you can consider that very much that static model. However, when we think about delivering it, you know, we don't want to have every system consuming, you know, thousands and thousands of files because, you know, often we have a, a price that's set per customer. Sometimes it's at the material level or some combination of, customer shipping address, billing address, and material. So we don't want to have, you know, millions of files flying out of the ERP through some sort of middleware where things can fail at any point of time. It also transfers a lot of data unnecessarily. So where possible, we do try to retrieve the data dynamically, and you can do this through, you know, a set of web services or things that are architected to pull just the information you need at the time you need it. Um, so one of the things that we've been trying to do incrementally over the last few years is roll out more and more pricing, which is visible to users that are not logged in. This is also a battle because um, then you get into competitive pricing and whether or not your online channel will, will cannibalize other channels just because of the fact that you're showing pricing on there, which might not be uh, if your list price is not set properly or it's not that competitive to your competitors, it might be you know, actually driving people away. But what we've tried to do is in this case say, what are the products that we can show? Because maybe not every single product needs to have that pricing displayed. We can say here are the you know 80-20 rule. Here are the 80% of the products that drive or 20% of the products that drive 80% of the, the value. Can we get a competitive enough pricing? On our online storefront, so that customers, you know, aren't driven away, and rather they 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 start that that online relationship. 
over time, then we can see what's their buying behavior. We can see when is the right opportunity for sales, perhaps to engage with them and negotiate something that is a little bit more advantageous to them, maybe for a one-year purchase commitment or for an ongoing amount of volume through either a subscription or some sort of standing order, we can give them a better discount. And then we want to be able to always show that customer the right price because there's nothing worse than thinking, oh, I have a 30% discount off of list. And then you log on to buy and, oh, wait, that's not my price. Now you're on the phone with your sales rep. You're on the phone with customer service. You're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and if it's, a, if it's a static file, if it's a, there's so many points of failure in there that it could happen. You know, is it the generation of the price list within the ERP? Is it the middleware layer that's producing the file? Is there a transmission error when that file is sent out? Did we on the e-commerce side not consume the file correctly? Better to be able to say, hey, when customer logs in and, and needs to see that pricing at that point of time, past the inputs that you need over to the source system, and in this case, our ERP, and retrieve that pricing so we can show it to them right then and there. And sure, we have times when that's down, we have fallback pricing models and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's dynamic is important in the sense of being able to deliver the right information to the customer at the right time, because otherwise you might lose that sale. Okay, so that's a very interesting way of thinking about the the dynamic pricing. Typically, you know, when the dynamic pricing is used in the industry, that's probably going to be slightly more algorithmic control. But the way you are describing, that's very interesting as well. So in this particular case, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is you are actually trying to pull the pricing in the real time. uh, And uh, that is going to be, you know, obviously you have a very thick system because obviously you guys are far bigger. Uh, than a lot of companies, right? So the pricing is going to go through middleware, then it's going to go to ERP. So that's going to be a long path uh, overall from the call perspective, the transaction that you are going to make to retrieve this price. So I don't know, you know, how many times you have to show the price when you are looking at these pages. So do you typically show it at the action when the users are going to say, okay, I'm ready to see the price, users click and then it makes a real time call or is it going to be the real time call for let's say if i'm simply you know browsing the pages and i am looking at many different products and for each of them there is going to be a price and i am trying to make a real time call for 20 you know products and that could be a very heavy lift so how uh, do you guys typically design the dynamic aspect of the pricing yeah, that's a great question and definitely something that we've encountered a lot of issues with in the past. When we first started, I think we were we were a bit uh, bit ambitious in what we thought we could do and maybe uh, maybe tried to bite off a little bit too much and we you know kind of paid for it in the customer experience and the page speed. We've done a lot to optimize. There's still a lot of areas that I think we can improve on and we're not using I think some more advanced technologies or modern ways of pulling this information. You know, a lot of it is old kind of soap based uh, interfaces. And, and mostly it's because it's what we're restricted to use uh, with the, the ERP development team. But we found ways to optimize things through a combination of, of price caching using I'm taking the lazy loading concepts that we yeah. normally would do for like images and media and applying that to pricing information. We also don't show pricing on every single screen. So there are interfaces where we do show the pricing, you know, like obviously the product detail page and key interfaces like the shopping cart and the checkout. Um, but we don't show it in every single product listing. We kind of limit it to certain screens where it makes sense. To um, for example, we have an integrated search with another platform which serves um, sort of what we call as a core website. So we have a, a core website and an e-commerce website that sit side by side, but to the end user, it looks and feels as one application. So they don't really notice when they're going back and forth. And it's really difficult to say, hey, let's pass over all the pricing information to another platform on the back end. So we try to keep it really focused on the key screens. When is the user going to take that action? I think you hit the nail on its head. You know, if I'm on a category page, do I need to be able to add an item to the cart right from there? In some cases, maybe, but the use cases are pretty limited. So we figure out, okay, where where does the, the user actually have to take that action? It's usually going to be a product listing or a product detail page. And so for there, you know, product pages, typically the call is pretty small. You've got, you know, anywhere from, let's say, five to 50 materials on one page. That's no problem. When you start getting to listings where you might potentially have hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of products, that's when you have to worry. And so for there, we, we try to implement, you know, basic pagination and other things where we're only loading the data as necessary and we're breaking the calls up into chunks. So rather than say, here's one call with 10,000 products, give me the pricing for all of them, it's 10 by 10 by 10 or 100 by 100 by 100. And when you break things up in that way, each call is is incrementally 
less than if you try to do everything in aggregate. So there are ways to do it. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't claim that we have the best solution and there's a lot of things we would love to do to optimize it, but we've come a long way in the last three, four years since when we were initially rolling these out. Love your technical background. Thank you so much, Colin, for that. Uh, okay, Steve, I'm actually going to move to you. And uh, what has been your experience when you think about the static and dynamic pricing? What have you seen among your customers when they try to implement static versus dynamic? Well, <clears throat> I think um, I'm going to throw a little bit of ointment uh, as a fly on this one because I, I don't think that dynamic pricing has a place for most manufacturers and retailers, um, and especially in the B2B world. And... Uh, because I think th there is a place for it. And uh, it, like in 2016, Wharton did a study on dynamic pricing based on uh, opportunities like um, uh, sports arenas and whatnot, where you have dynamic pricing based on location. And we all look at that and they found that it's reasonable because there's different perceived values. Uber has dynamic pricing, you know, because they have the surge pricing that goes up and in, in the time when you need it most is when they have uh, the amount of cars. We all get, um, but the challenges come when people try to use other, and there are myriad other uh, personalization techniques to adjust a price. Um, and I think what we're finding is that you can actually run afoul of the law pretty easily without knowing it. Um, uh, in fact, um, in I mentioned 2022, uh, actually last month, sorry, in January, it's two months ago, Amazon paid a, a $2.25 million fine for a dynamic pricing mechanism. Um, that the, was found, they, they put a floor on it. You know, they, they didn't say dynamic pricing was bad, but the way that they had created the dynamic pricing rules harmed the consumer that was found, and they had to pay a fine. Um, there's actually an act going back to 1936. I made a note. Uh, shoot. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been defanged a lot over the years. But um, the Columbia Law Review is actually looking at that and proposing use cases against large companies like Amazon for the type of pricing that they're using. And essentially, that law was put there to prevent large companies, which back then was like Sears, Roebuck and whatnot, from using regional based pricing techniques to drive competitors out of business. And so when we talk about dynamic pricing, we're, we're talking about personalization. We might... You might have, maybe you have global dynamic pricing. I mentioned that in one of the posts below um, where you, you, you're globally changing your price based on supply and demand or some other factor. And, and the Supreme Court's going to say like, that's pretty much okay, right? At the same time, you don't want to become a Shkreli or however you pronounce that guy's name because that's what he did. And that's what some other companies have done, you know, with insulin, right? We all know those stories. There's a lot of really bad feedback for that kind of dynamic pricing. But also when you get into personalization, you start charging people who own max 30% more for things, which is uh, also something somebody got caught for. Staples got caught in 2012 for charging a different price for uh, products in one region over another. Um, there's a lot of challenges to dynamic pricing in the open marketplace because people are smart and they know where to look. And so my answer, Sam, is, None of my manufacturers use dynamic pricing, and they certainly would not subject their B2B customers with a dynamic pricing model because they know they would get their you-know-what handed to them in a sling and lose customers really fast. Very interesting perspective. So one of the things that you mentioned is the you know personalization techniques, and I'm not sure if the listeners are going to be able to follow along how personalization techniques are going to be relevant in sort of getting the pricing that you are looking for. Yeah. So do you have any examples that you might be able to offer through which I am able to change myself and probably get some different pricing? <laughs> Can you provide an example or a scenario? <laughs> Certainly. Um, I think so. Uh, in, in actually... Can you rephrase that question? I want to make sure I heard it right. And I apologize. For yeah. So basically you to... what you were saying is, you know, I can get the, the pricing that I am looking for based on some changes that I am going to make based on my profile. That was my understanding of changing the pricing based on the personalization strategy, because for each yeah. of the persona, you are probably going to have different pricing. So basically you are playing with algorithm. I get it. But what are different scenarios where I can probably play with dynamic pricing? Let's say Babe is offering. I mean, he he wanted to play with me, so I'll play with him. Uh, and right. <laughs> you know, okay. So so provide an example, maybe. 
Okay. I think, you know, so uh, in, in one of the previous episodes, somebody brought up a snowmobile and you could yeah. potentially have dynamic pricing that, uh, you know, in November when the first snows hit and demand goes through the roof, maybe your supply isn't as high, you could potentially raise the prices of snowmobiles across the board or in a region. Um, so you're personalizing based on the cookies that uh, are getting tracked and maybe charging somebody in Minnesota more for a snowmobile than you might in Texas, you know. Um, so, you know, all, there's all the personalization techniques that you could use. And um, the, the challenge is in terms of like the legality, there's a concept called price steering. Uh, and there's also um, price discrimination. And uh, if you can imagine, it's one thing to say, well, we're going to charge everybody in, um, let's say, the, the mid the northeast uh, in the winter for snowmobiles because they're going to uh, need them more. And it's a supply and demand issue. But on a negative side, you know, if you decided that you were going to charge everybody in south central L.A. more for something, you might be running afoul of, of uh, some pretty serious laws around discrim- pricing discrimination. Um, you know, that's that's kind of an odd, an odd example, but it's possible you could do that, right? I mean, real estate agents historically did something like that. It was called redlining. We have a name for it. It went to the Supreme Court. So, um, you know, I don't I don't mean to be inflammatory about it, but I think we need to be really smart about what we use dynamic pricing for, um, because what we're talking about is we want to have our consumers have a really good experience. And um, if I go buy something for 120 bucks one day and I find it's $99 the next, I'm not having a good experience. Or if I just happen to fly to New York and find out it's $99 there, I'm not having a good experience. Uh, and I think it was the Harvard Business Review just actually made the first sort of scientific link that showed that dynamic pricing actually increases product return percentages, which is a negative factor in business. Um, I think that just came out in December. It was a, the first study linking those two things. That's a huge business expense for companies um, when, you know, roughly 26%, I think, of things bought on the internet are returned. If you implement dynamic pricing and that goes up by 5%, not only might you be, you know, reducing the user experience for your customers, that means they're noticing it and they're returning more product. And that's a big expense to you. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights, Steve. Uh, Dave, I'm actually going to come to you. What has been your experience when it comes to static versus dynamic pricing? Yeah, the interesting part about where we tend to go in static versus dynamic is that we want to throw rules around our pricing and be as agile as we possibly can, right? So that's that's the benefit overall of dynamic pricing is you can target and you can actually dial right in in order to hit that nice, perfect match between the right customer and the right price to get them incentivized to move forward. So for us, and when we're talking about dynamic pricing, you know, we don't, we don't use any um, outside tools, but you can fake dynamic pricing with some smart attention to detail, right? So you can do promotional pricing. Like if you see an abandoned cart, you can send a promotional discount to someone that's technically dynamic pricing because they go, they visit your your shopping cart, they leave. And so you're going to send them something that says, you know, if you buy in the next five hours or the next hour, we're going to give you $5 off or 10% off or whatever that is, right? So you can react directly to the interaction and that's relatively easy to do in any commerce e-commerce platform where it gets more tricky and kind of more exciting and you know i i com- i completely agree with steve and the ethical and legal challenges inside of some of these dynamic pricing options but you can get very good with the right customer data on targeting the right segments for pricing and by segments i mean timing so have they looked at my product three times in the past two months. And so I want to offer them a promotional discount or get them something to move them off of stasis. Um, Or is it by device? So I know if someone's on a mobile device, they might be physically looking at something and or price shopping or comparison next to one of my other clients or products. Again, this is getting into some of that asterisk area where you have to be kind of careful because if you just say, yeah, anybody on iPhone, I want to charge them an extra 5% because I hate those dudes. You know, that's probably a bad thing. 
right? But if you're coming in, if it's a new versus returning customer, for example, why not use some of that data and some of that information? Very easy to know using Google Analytics and some of the other tools. Has this person ever been to my website before? Of course, some of the new data policies and procedures and and certainly Apple um, are making this a little bit more difficult because it's harder to see and do not track is making it tougher. But there's so much you can do inside of that once you know a little bit. Now, bringing it all the way back, communication and fairness is absolutely important. So if you're going to use dynamic pricing, you need to have in your terms and conditions at a very minimal base what you're using dynamic pricing for and how you're approaching it. You need to be clear, you need to be concise, and you need to get right to that. You know, we're, we're seeing this, I think Steve brought up Amazon a couple times, dynamic pricing is anytime you see add to cart to see special price, it's dynamic pricing. So, you know, using it, but being very fair, very clear is very, very necessary inside of this. And uh, while, while I'm talking about the, the overview of pricing here, uh, we're all seeing it and feeling some very real dynamic pricing at gas stations right now. You know, there's supply-based pricing as well. So people are up. It's not necessarily that there's more demand. It's just that all of a sudden, a few of our methods of supply chain are in the lurch. And so we're seeing prices creeping up dynamically as a result of that. Yeah, very interesting. So, you know, I am going to have to agree with Steve what he was trying to mention overall, uh, you know, with these games that people are going to play with pricing. In fact, I am going to steal the code from one of my friend, Andrew Deutsch. I don't know if you're connected with him. Uh, You know, he's super popular in the manufacturing and e-commerce space, and he likes to talk about death by coupons. Okay, so Mm -hmm. I am going to be talking about death by pricing. So here you mentioned the scenario where you have the pricing for new versus. And if you talk about my wife, I mean, she'll try every single possibility to get that dollar, even if it means that, you know, she's going to spend whole day just to just to get the dollar in discount. And that's a win for her, to be honest. But from the system perspective, from the information perspective, what is going to happen is, okay, you guys are going to get like a million email from the same customer in your database, because now you are enabling the the new versus returning uh, pricing. So sometimes I feel that, you know, if you have too much uh, going on with your pricing, you are going to struggle with your information architecture. You are going to struggle with your information processes. Uh, do you share the similar perspective or do you agree with, uh, you know, going with these hyper pricing scenarios? Yeah, I, I agree completely that you need to be careful with how you manage this, because if you incentivize your customer the wrong way by always giving them a first time customer price, they're going to sign up with 17 different email addresses, right? Exactly. And then Ms. Gupta is going to be on online going after it, right? So again, you need to be careful with, and you wouldn't want to start by saying every new customer gets, you know, $5 off or, you know, another dynamic pricing model is, you know, miles for like uh, airlines, right? So they've got these incentives for people to come in. Uh, There's an old case study um, and I forget where it's from, but, or or what uh, company, I think it was United, but yeah, there was a pudding discount. Like you, you could sign up and buy so many boxes of pudding and you would get so many miles. Well, this guy just bought out every store he could find and bought like several million cases of pudding. And he's riding, riding United for life for free because it was like a one-to-one. And yeah, sure. You know, if I can, but you got to be careful what you're incentivizing people to do. And Again, this is where fairness and clarity comes into and realizing that just because you can, it doesn't necessarily mean you should. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Uh, So we are going to do one uh, short segment related to pricing, the implications of pricing on the customer experience. So, Chris, I am going to start with you. When you look at the customer experience, obviously, we have discussed a lot of different scenarios and that actually impacts me, to be honest. So what have been your experiences? when you look at the customer experience and the uh, pricing impl- dynamic pricing. Impl- yeah, I would say that um, there are so many good comments here. Certainly, we need to make sure that we keep our customers satisfied and we want to make sure that we're, we're getting the loyalty out of our customers. But also as companies, we want to make sure that we're getting our maximum margin and uh, that we can and not losing margin under certain scenarios. So I I guess where I like to think that dynamic pricing has a really good opportunity uh, goes back to if my pricing is changing as an organization, my costs are being adjusted, 
I want to have dynamically the ability to change my price to the customer so I haven't eroded my margin. So in that case, uh, I if my my customer questions me about it, I can talk about the, the impact factors that drove my costs up, which then had an impact on their price. And now I'm still maintaining a level of margin. So I think any change to cost should allow uh, uh, an organization to also change their price, right? So that's one. And then I, I still think an opportunity exists for many organizations on the delivery side uh, of things. Again, if I am delivering internationally, if I am delivering from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to California versus Milwaukee to Minneapolis, I should, and if, if my customer wants it now or wants it in three days, I should be able to have some factors that play into the, the pricing. And again, in my world, owners of equipment are thinking about that total cost of ownership. So they're not thinking about their list price necessarily. They're thinking about the price it costs them to get it there. That's their total cost of, of that part arriving. Now, if I charge them more because they needed it next day and faster, I, I think that's fair and they will understand that and I should, as an organization, be compensated for that. So I think there are, there are the right opportunities for dynamic pricing that organizations aren't leveraging today and they have some margin erosion. And that's where I think an opportunity for sure. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Dave Chrysler, I am going to come to you. And uh, we are talking about the customer experience here. Can we do anything from the dynamic pricing perspective to either improve the customer experience? But, uh, you know, from the panel, uh, I'm sensing that, you know, people are, uh, you know, leaning more towards uh, bad customer experience through dynamic pricing. So, well, from your <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what. So I really love this conversation because it, it allows you to take both sides of the coin, right? And you can really make a case either way. And, and everybody on the panel has done a tremendous job of that. Um, I would say to kind of carry on to where Chris was going and, and maybe add in a counterpoint to that, because I agree with where she's going with it from, um, you know, Mac, being able to have the opportunity to maximize some of the margin, especially for some of the variable stuff. Uh, as we know, that stuff fluctuates, right? You know, you, you saw that. Um, in the early 90s, let's say, and in the early 2000s, when, you know, gas started to spike a lot. And that was the the start and the never going away of the fuel surcharge, right? Like we used to hear that all the time in manufacturers, like, oh, it's, you know, it's going to go away when it when it goes back down, right? Well, that never happened. So I agree from that standpoint, where I've seen the dynamic pricing thought process and what um, Chris was talking about in terms of some of your costs changing, you know, unfortunately, um, from an operations management perspective or whoever is controlling that pricing, um, oftentimes what happened is what would happen is when you started to see that margin erode and started to see opportunities to increase that margin, the customer experience would go out the window and you'd say, how do we maximize margin, right? And and that kind of gets to the point of the conversation is that you have to be mindful and it has to be, you know, delivering value to the customers is delivering value of what they're expecting and what they're willing to pay for. And that's where the customer experience component in my mind comes into play. So while I agree because I'm an operations guy and I was always responsible to increase uh, operational margin, uh, I completely see that side of it. I always had to be mindful of how far we push that envelope because when you start to push the envelope, it gets very, very challenging to be able to tell that story to the customer. Uh, and therefore, you're going to impact your customer experience and potentially, you know, risk losing that, uh, that next repeat order or what have you. Now, again, there are ways to balance that tremendous customer experience on the e-com side of things amazing customer service, you know, all of those types of things go into, um, I think, the overall picture of what that customer experience is. But um, yeah, there, there's a couple more things for you. Okay, amazing insights. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, Colin, I'm actually going to come to you. So is it going to be a good customer experience, bad customer experience versus dynamic pricing? Yeah, I mean, there's been 
I'll echo what Dave said. There's been a lot of really great material and, and comments given so far. I think it depends on what your customer expectation is. So I think in a lot of regulated industries and stuff, like if they're, you know, if you have a contract agreement with them, then that's the most important thing to protect. And, you know, if you're not confident that you can design a dynamic pricing model that will preserve that integrity and, you know, work in, you know, the favor of both the business and the customer, then you should stay away from it. I think where the opportunity exists in some of those spaces to integrate parts of that in is just around like customer retention and conversion. So, you know, for example, if you can design a model um, and some of it can be automated and some of it can be maybe manual where you can understand when a customer is most likely to uh, leave, you know, whether when you're most likely to experience churn and you can, you know, preempt that with an offer of some kind. Great. Like, but you have to make sure that the core is protected. So meaning that whatever agreed upon contracted pricing, which may not be for all your products. So let's say, you know, 30% of your materials with a the customer there on contract. Those are the ones you don't touch other than to maybe give them a discount. And, and maybe that even then, your finance team might say, hey, they can't also go below this price because we're already giving them a, a, a better discount. So protect that core. But let's say there is a set of products they're not buying. Maybe you have an opportunity to um, deliver some sort of a, a targeted promotion to a buyer persona or a, or a user persona who's actually using the product and say, hey, you know, you've been with us for X number of years and we know that you purchase products XYZ over here, let's connect something and say, hey, if you purchase this, this is a good supplemental product to that. And that could be something where you're given an opportunity to benefit the company through a cross-sell or upsell activity, but you're also looking for ways to say, hey, customer, Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer, this is a way you can do your job better. Here's another product that we offer. So I think there are ways to do it, but I have to say like, you know, especially in most industries that tend to be more risk averse, you have to protect that core first. I could not agree more. Thank you so much, Colin, for that. Uh, so Steve, I'm actually going to come to you. So you are most likely going to talk about bad customer experience, uh, but do you see anything good about dynamic pricing? <laughs> well, I uh, I have to agree with Colin. I liked when he talked about um, pricing integrity, uh, which to me is also integrity of the company. Yeah. Um, as far as, uh, you know, good dynamic pricing, um, I'd say like, uh, I think most of us as consumers are, there's good dynamic pricing in places like when, when I buy a concert ticket, if I'm far away, I pay less. And if I'm up close, I pay more. I get that, right? At football stadium, same thing. Uber is frustrating as it is uh, to have, you know, that surge pricing. I know why it's there, um, you know, and I understand when I, I go to Alaska Airlines to get a ticket for tomorrow, it's going to be $1,800 instead of the 350 I could have gotten it for months ago. Um, but, you know, when it, when it comes to the retail experience, that pricing integrity that Colin is talking about, it, I think it's the, the North Face and Patagonia proved this to the Supreme Court in the 80s when they, they, they went all the way to the Supreme Court to legitimize the fact that they can charge a lot of money for a product and that they could make their retailers across the world charge the same price because it was actually establishing the value of that product, you know, versus the $4 puppy you could from Walmart. They're significantly different. So, so I, I say that because I come from the outdoor industry and I'm familiar with that particular uh, case, but also I think the outdoor industry is a good example of how this pricing integrity that Colin talked about, how they got to that first And maybe there's dynamic pricing in the future, but first they had to, you know, when, when the internet came along, they tried to apply the rules of uh, brick and mortar, which said you can have a sale whenever you want. Just let us know. Well, they found out that uh, actually people were having sales all the time. So it didn't matter. You know, If you looked online, you could always find something on sale. But it might be at Joe's in Boston or it could be at Jane's in L.A. They had to come up with new rules. It has made it come up with a ton of new rules. Um, Patagonia is another good example. In order to keep that uh, accidental dynamic pricing from happening all over the web with discounters and and you know rogue vendors, they dropped everybody from from Amazon so that they could they could make sure that they kept the price the way they wanted to, and it was about brand image and uh, that's that integrity. And once you have that brand base, then you can start talking about uh, a dynamic pricing. I think, but I think most manufacturers and retailers that make things for sale, you know. They they don't have that integrity, uh, and I don't mean personal integrity, but the business integrity and the business, the pricing integrity to be able to establish a dynamic model that actually won't uh, anger their consumers uh, if they're selling things different than sitting in a stadium. Does that answer your question? 
Yeah, you did. And thank you so much. By the way, I'm completely cool with the cheaper airline pricing because I'm being smart with my purchasing decision, but I'm not cool with paying five times or 10 times on Uber. There's no way I'm, I'm doing that. Okay, thank you so much, Steve, for that. Exactly. Uh, Dave Myers, I'm actually going to come to you. Customer experience versus dynamic pricing. Yeah, it, it all comes down to being very clear. And the the thing that the thing that comes back to me or or with me is you can't do. I think Colin brought this up. You need to have a solid system. You need to be using your ERP. You need to be relying on your content inside of that. And you need to know that you have a true source of data so that you're not bidding against yourself, so that you're not you know running afoul of laws and, and other issues or more importantly, probably than any of that, upsetting your customers by confusing them and or making your pricing strategy seem unfair. So as long as you have a system that you can rely on and you follow up by setting good rules that make sense, not only to you, but to your customer, if you ever have to explain it, like why was it more yesterday than it is today? Or, you know, whatever. You know, if you can explain it, then you probably met the first sniff test, right? If you have trouble and you have to go back to your system, you're like, um, well, you know, our, our system says that you just need to pay more today. You deserve to lose that. Right? So, you know, keeping that, again, very clear, keeping it in your terms and conditions and not applying this kind of willy nilly or ad hoc. If you can come back on set rules by being very clear, you're going to do fine. Be careful. And this with with great power comes great responsibility. It worked with with Spider-Man and it works with us on dynamic pricing. So if if we can just be careful and do it right, everything's going to work out. Yeah, could not agree more. I don't like surprises with pricing. Thank you so much, uh, Dave, for that. So the only thing we can take right now is going to be the closing advice. Uh, Chris, what would be your closing advice for today? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of great recommendations here. So be careful. That would be my closing advice, right? They call it price discrimination, price gouging, uh, ticket scalping. These words didn't come out uh, because people love experiences like this, right? These words are here because it does have an impact on the end customer. And that's what we think about in any strategy we take. Yeah, I absolutely love. I just want trouble in my life. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. <laughs> Dave Chrysler, okay, what would be your closing advice? Uh, like like many of these uh, that we talk about, Sam and, and Chris alluded to it, right? But start with the end in mind. What's the goal? What what experience are we really trying to go for? And make sure that your systems and processes uh, not only align with that, but allow you to double down on that uh, as you move through your business. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Dave, for that. Uh, Colin, what would be your closing advice? Yeah, we have a, a tool inside our organization called Holistic View of Commercial. And the three pillars of it are win, expand, and don't lose. And really what you have to think about is like not losing your, your existing business because that's your core customer base. They're probably in our space, the ones that have been with us the longest, the ones that continue to deliver value over time. So don't get distracted with the shiny new toy to try to win one new customer at the expense of 10 solid customers that have delivered solid years of business. I could not agree more. Thank you so much, Colin, for that. Uh, Steve, what would be your closing advice, please? Uh, I just posted it in here and I'd say with, with pricing, if you are depending on security through obscurity and a lack of transparency, then you are playing with consumer fire and you're going to get burned. Okay, amazing insights there. Thank you so much, Steve, for that. Dave, what would be your closing advice? Be clear and consistent with your pricing. It's, co it's okay to be dynamic and to use dynamic pricing, but as long as you do it from a place of common sense and you pay attention to the respect of your customer and of the interaction and the relationship that you have with them, you'll be fine. Just don't go crazy because, you know, you don't want to set your hair on fire like, like uh, Steve, Steve's prices. Could not agree more. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. That's it for today. If you joined for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to e-commerce, and we always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their uh, insights and wisdom. Uh, we are going to be here next week, so don't miss next week's show. Uh, on that note, I just wanted to thank everybody for their time and insights. Thank you, Sam. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Sam. Thank, thank you, everybody. Thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Colin Cronin, head over to LeicaBiosystems.com. It's L-E-I-C-A-B-I-O-S-Y-S-T-E-M-S.com. 
If you want to learn more about Steve Rice, head over to .comjungle.com. It's D-O-T-C-O-M-J-U-N-G-L-E.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to thechrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Dave Meyer, head over to busyweb.com. It's B-I-Z-Z-Y-W-E-B.com. If you want to learn more about Christina Harrington, head over to genalpha.com. It's D-E-N-A-L-P-H-A.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Burch Channer, who shares his insights into dynamic pricing, how dynamic pricing works, and how e-commerce companies can take advantage of it. Also, the interview with Andrew Deutsch, who discusses pricing and discounting strategies for companies. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.